Out of the 94 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. The episode gets started in just a second. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlog Banter where we are trying to figure out what we think is the very best 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 picture winner of all time and also sort out where everything that isn't the very top lies in a great big list of all the best picture winners ranked if you want to check out the list go ahead head over to our letterbox page is backlog banter over there i'm timo joined of course this week by tucker tanner and abram and while abram is not in his normal spot i'm back home um and and Abram is actually hanging they're out actually with, above uh, me. Tanner. That's true. Hey and, down uh, there, and... keep it quiet down there. Wow. Oh. So... <laughs> but we are are having a great time. We're back in it. We took a little two week break, finish up our travels. We are back in the swing of things. This week we're going to be talking about Driving Miss Daisy from 1989, directed by Bruce Beresford, starring. Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, and yep. Dan Aykroyd mainly. Um, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about this film and maybe get some little sprinkles of extra things to think about. But before we do any talking or any driving for that matter, we got to go do a little housekeeping, of course. Last time, not quite last week, we talked about Gladiator with Russell Crowe, uh, the Ridley Scott movie, direct from 2000. We gave it an average score of 7 Point eight, and uh, and I recommend you go listen back to that episode so that you can figure out why we did that. Maybe I'll have to do that too. It was a little while ago. Um, but the film ended up at number forty-two on our list, so the forty-second place out of well, it's, it's very many, very many. But at the end of this episode, Oof. there'll be seventy-four movies on that great list. So wow, that's a lot. Now let's go back a little bit into the past with our featured comment. Who has it for this week? It's Tucker, right? All right, so we've got a comment this week from, I would say, who is the new up-and-coming Quest commenter, one James Harper, who ended up commenting on five, I think, different Quest videos over the course of the last two weeks when we're taking our break, and he leaves a comment on our Tom Jones episode, which is ancient by today's standards. But he says, I love this movie. A critical and box office success. It was nominated for 10 Oscars, winning four. I'm glad one of you brought up the point of when you watch an older movie, it needs to be looked at in the context of the time it was made and its cultural impact. Yes, it was a body sex comedy. One of my favorite lines in the movie is Hugh Griffith asking, where's Tom's pussy? Here, puss, puss, puss. And the lusty eating scene. It has moments of great comedy and is funny, but I don't think of it as the funniest movie ever. Uh, I'm glad he enjoyed it because... Uh, if you go walk back and watch that move, that review, none of us agreed with it. No, I, that's okay. Guess yeah. what? Guess what? I also don't think it's the funniest movie ever. <laughs> I also, you know what, Tiger? I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't. The new up and comer can't be a Tom Jones fan. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know no, about no, no, this. No. He does not have. He does not have my blessing. Well, he's also the uh, a the apartment fan, as he commented oh. on another one. So that's way more. Well, Abram's not going to like that either. Oh. <laughs> But, but thank you. We really do appreciate everybody who comments. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it really makes the, the conversation a little bit fuller. So even if you, I don't agree with your opinions, I'll let it slide. Mm. Especially because we were gone for two weeks. Yeah. No good comments on The Gladiator. Uh-uh. No. So let's fix that. This week. Let's fix it. That must mean right? it's a I mean, bad movie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> As Tanner would have us believe during that episode. Okay. Well, 
Should we talk about driving Miss Daisy? Oh. Enough tooting around the horn. How about our joke? Let's, uh, oh God, how many car <laughs> jokes are we gonna have today? Yeah, let's slip into the driver's seat. All four of us hop into the driver's <laughs> seat and let, let's let's speed off down the road. Throw it into and on first first gear. I will. Who, who who wants to throw it into first gear with? Oh, their, we've spent uh, too long thoughts. in the land of metaphor, so let's talk about the specifics of why I am pretty much ambivalent towards driving Miss Daisy. Um. So I fell asleep watching this movie with these two boys the other night, <laughs> which was only partially, frankly, a commentary on the quality of the, of the film. I, I was quite tired, but I think even if I was a, fully awake and fully immersed in the experience of Closest Play into two, I'd probably be just as indifferent because I don't think Dragon Mysteries does anything poorly. I actually think it's very well acted, and I think it's got a kick and score. It's kind of a... It's, it's, it makes sense. So this is one of the films I think we're going to talk about where, where in its win makes sense. However, when you begin to contextualize the year of this film's release, yeah. and you start to tell me about Do the Right Thing, an all-time classic. You start to tell me about The Last Crusade, an all-time classic. You start to talk about all these other films, like The Batman. I love, I love 1989's Batman. But the other films of, of real repute beyond just cultural significance um, from that year, it becomes harder and harder to justify, in my own mind, this as the Best Picture winner, although it's sort of just, for me, a reaffirmation of why the Oscars really are not always a sort of ceremony of quality, but a ceremony of politicking, um, because I don't think this movie is exceptional, but I don't think it's poor either. Yeah, I think this is one of the more... Okay, I was going to say one of the more interesting entries in the Best Picture lineup, but I, the exact opposite of that is true. This is one of the least interesting uh, entries in the Best Picture lineup, because it's not a bad movie. I think it's a perfectly competent drama, but I also don't think this movie would matter very much if it didn't win Best Picture. And so as a Best Picture winner, has very little going for it. As a movie, I enjoy this film. I, I have a good time with it. I like the characters. I like I like the tone and and especially the score, as he said, probably one of my favorite film scores of all time. But I, I'm actually very curious, uh, Tanner, if you have the um, the wins and noms to get those out early because I just want to know, like, set the stage of what this was considered for uh, back in its time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, if uh, Timo and I want to okay. do opening thoughts, well, I can hit us with the uh, the wins and noms as a as a conversation starter. Sure. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess since Tanner, you're going to roll into the wins and noms after your thoughts are over. I'll go with mine. You know, I kind of I kind of echo Abram. I think I, I I I had I was entertained enough while watching the film. Um, it didn't drive me to look at my phone or to think about anything else while I was watching it. Um, but it it was it's kind of bland. I think I think that like it doesn't have a whole lot in it that makes me think or that makes me even think in terms of what's going on in this story. The narrative moving from one little piece to another and these little vignettes yeah. across a long time um, was like okay. But to me, the film lacked conflict and it lacked stakes because it just decided not to really deal with any. Of the, it it kind of set up some hints of racism. But it just decides not to think or to do anything about those. So, you know, I guess that's a that's a negative towards the film. And it, it makes it just a little bit like, OK, I'm watching this nice story unfold. But beyond that, there really isn't much there. I think uh, the score. Yeah, it's OK. I think um, not my favorite Hans Zimmer score out there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like this is just going to be a, a me coalescing uh, what everyone else has said here. It does lack really like conflict and stakes in a in, in a. Um, general like as we understand film sense and it is just more of like a this like sassy little relationship between this old woman and her like chauffeur essentially and it is 
backgrounded by you know the the uh, tumultuous ch- uh, racial change in the South of the 1950s and 60s. But ultimately, this film doesn't do a whole lot with that. Like literally, the last uh, not not even the last. There is maybe 15, 20 minutes of this that takes up like the late 60s when this was all coming to a head. And it do- it goes absolutely nowhere as I said, for for the for the for the racial overtones of the film, um, but at the same time, you know, I chuckled a few times, uh, which you know, I I th- I think this is an entertaining film to a certain extent, uh, and I'll I'll look back at look back and fondly remember those little the little the little jabs, the little snipes between uh between Morgan Freeman and Jessica Tandy, but ultimately, I'm not going to look back at this and th- and think. Oh, what an influential or what a what a game changing best picture winner! What 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 a real you know what a interesting t- pick for the uh, for the Academy at this time. Absolutely oh. not. But let's see. But the Academy obviously did think it was an interesting pick. It did obviously give it the best picture Oscar as well as uh, best actress to Jessica Tandy. Uh, it also won uh, best adapted screenplay, uh, best makeup as well. It was nominated. Uh, Morgan Freeman was nominated for Best uh, Lead Actor. Dan Aykroyd was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It was also nominated for uh, Set Decoration, Costume Design, and Film Editing. Yeah, well, that's a lot of stuff. But and yeah. not, nothing I would yeah, say like, a lot of super sticks out to me other than the performances, personally. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I would actually say... Um, yeah, I, I, I want to talk about that. the editing of this film a little bit because this film does take place over. I don't even. I don't, I don't even know how how many years this film takes place over because it jumps around a lot. I think so. Mitch is maybe why I wouldn't. I think if you're gonna have this like multi, you know, years, decades expanding sort of narrative, I want a bit of scale, especially when you're exploring a time period that was as important for uh, you know race race relations as the 1950s and 60s. So I never knew, like, okay, has it been three months between these two between these two scenes, or has it been three years between these two scenes? And I never really got a sense of that at all because it, the only real scale I had was, man, Dan Aykroyd seems to be aging quite a bit whenever he pops up every every fifteen twenty minutes or so. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that the editing lacks that sense of time. I, I think this film this film explores a lot of time, but I never get a sense of it. Because I feel like, and this gets a, this is a character writing thing as well. I don't know how much the relationship changes between our two characters, really. But I, I'll yeah. throw it to you guys for your thoughts. Here's what yeah. I think. I think I, you you raise a good point about the editing. It's, it sort of feels like we're we're meandering at a certain extent. But I think it also comes back to the character writing, sort of the overall positioning of the film. Right? Obviously, being about social justice in this era. It chooses to tell a narrative of racism on an individual level opposed to a systemic level. And sort of the film kind of, in a moment, explains what it's about when we go to the Martin Luther King dinner. And um, th- we, we leave and we listen to him speak. And it's like, what's going to be remembered is the ambivalence of the good people, right? And so the reason I bring this up is because I think that there should be this sense uh, between our two leads that... Um, What's the older woman's act? What's the older woman's name? In the Daisy. Film? I don't remember. <laughs> Miss Daisy. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where Miss Daisy should have to sort of look within herself and reconcile her mistakes. And we, there should be a sort of, if we're going to come out the other side with this sort of strengthened bond, 
there should be more tumult on our way there, a sort of a sense of accountability that is developed within the characters. As, as, but there really isn't anything like that. I think Kimo, you're the one that's making the point where it's it's sort of gestural and it's sort of discussion of, you know, of the of these relationships and these racial tensions and conflicts, but it never wants to have those inform how the characters really interact. It is all filtered through these eyes of Miss Daisy. It's like, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced. I, I, no, nothing's going wrong here. And it feels like the filmmaking is kind of perpetuating that. And we lead, we end up having a film that, you know, it might be the editing or it might be the writing, but it leads to nothing feeling like it's going anywhere. There is really nothing to glean from this film inter- other than what Martin Luther King Jr. said astutely beforehand and they superimpose into the film. Mm-hmm. I think that the lack of that momentum is 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 a huge detriment. I don't think again. I I don't think this movie is bad, and I think it's very simple in, in what it does. Um, but I think that that simplicity feels very lacking for a best picture because not only do we not have a lot of truthiness in terms of the uh the the themes that it's digging into and, and exploring the race relations around the country, which obviously, as you as have, has been said here. Uh, could have been very interesting for what this movie could have tackled, or even if not that, having this impact these two characters in a more aggressive way. Because I think the lack of conflict isn't even just on a, there's not like a huge bout of racism in this town or, or something on a larger scale, or they end up at some sort of, uh, some sort of riot or something that, that is caused by these, that this, by this tension this time. We don't even really get a lot of interpersonal uh, conflict. In this film, and frankly, I found multiple points throughout the film. And I think this is probably my biggest knock against the film, where they set up something for conflict and then just let it peter off, or said, "Nah, that's okay," and wiped it away. Um, one big uh, example of that for me is when uh, um, Morgan Freeman's character Hoke is asking, indirectly asking for a raise um, from Dan, Dan Aykroyd's character. He's like, ah, "I, I think sixty-five dollars sounds good." He's like, "Oh, I, you know, seventy-five dollars. I, I prefer that." And there's like some tension in Dan Aykroyd's like eyes and his and his his look at Hoke and he's like, uh, this guy's trying to maybe kind of swindle me. And he's like, but then he's like, no, actually, seventy five dollars is good. They shake hands and they part. And that's like a scene that feels like it should have been leading to something. That should have come to a head. Oh, uh, Dan Aykroyd's character should, I believe his name is Booley. Uh, Booley should have held that against Hoke for like another scene Bully. and then talked about it and then maybe. Uh, Miss Daisy's told, no, actually, you should give him a raise or something like that. Like, there's no mo- momentum to these character relationships because when conflict feels like it's about to happen, they either wipe it away within that scene or do a time skip, you know, indiscriminate time skip of how long it's going to be to where whatever that problem was, it's not a problem anymore because it's been five years. And how the hell is it going to stay a problem for five years? So that that's something that I, I really do think this movie is poor at. Yeah, bombing of the temple is another great example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. you mentioned and uh, them getting pulled over by the police and and being questioned. It, yeah. it goes absolutely nowhere. Yeah, like, oh, it goes actually, nowhere. You're good. Have a nice day. With the I... cop from uh, or with the coach from uh, the Blind Side, by the way, I was surprised to see him there. I didn't know I didn't know he was that old, but uh, it was interesting to see him as the as the the cop with like he's a he's a skinny guy with the big nose and like the, the small chin or whatever. It was just fun to see him. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Skinny guy with the big nose and the small chin. What I was going to say earlier was that, Tucker, I think you're right. Not only does the, the conflict kind of peters out, but it doesn't ever, the conflict is never the same. There aren't any ever like reoccurring conflicts between characters. They just like, 
each time they have some other little minor difference that they either got to work out or just kind of be like, yep. oh, well, that's, you know, you're you're like that, you know, and then not actually there's no follow through from one vignette to the next about like developing this relationship. Mm. And I, I forget who said it. I think it was Tanner that it it they don't I, I do agree. The characters don't feel like they change very much. I don't really think like Miss Daisy has like a a strong dislike for having Hoke around at the beginning. Um, and and so then to go from not really from being sort of ambivalent, you know, don't touch my stuff or whatever at the beginning to being like, OK, we're you're good friends with me. And isn't I don't know, I just feel like it isn't that big of a change for the characters. And I don't think Hoke is mm. allowed to change very much at all. I think yeah, he's absolutely pretty much the same character the entire film. Um, and he, you know, everybody's got room for growth. So um, why didn't he? Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Abram. Well, what, what, I, what I think it comes down to on like a most base level is that the intent of this film is that you end up like feeling good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the film is very deliberate to make sure you, mm-hmm. you, you aren't feeling bad for too long ever. I think, I think that's where this sort of episodic nature ends up hurting the most because driving the sort of sense limited of, series coming to hbo max next year no no no, no, no. there's this sort of sense of oh the temple's been bombed times passes but i don't feel like i need to be carrying that baggage forward because as years as you say Timo, nothing ever really accumulates and so as a result i don't think it if it's not going to challenge me on its source material what's really the point because i i the the film is about american racism in this period and mm-hmm. and this sort of white upper middle class resistance towards that change. Don't call her rich. But that's a no, don't call her rich. That's another interesting thing. It's like the film doesn't want you to ever hate anybody. Yeah. Really. It doesn't feel that way to me. And I, and I think that is a sort of root level cause of why characters aren't changing because that change is going to re- hmm. require facing some of these prejudices that the film reiterates. Requiring stronger flaws to, to overcome, right. to show growth. Yeah. Yes, what's more inter- stakes, stronger flaws, we don't have them. What, what's interesting about this is that, especially in, like, a, 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 even, like, a, a toothless, like, racism movie nowadays, you would have the stand-in racist villain. Like, the the guy who, who or the villain of the film who is, you know, the, the guy perpetrating, you know, the hate. You know, he is, imbo- he is the one embodying the hate of the time, essentially. Um, and... I think that that's that, that's not here at all. Like you know, they they mention like um like the the governor or the mayor or whatever offhandedly, but we never get any character like that, which is just interesting to me as a way to again skirt that sort of skirt skirt that sort of conflict, I guess. Well, t- I think sorry, sorry, Timo, yeah, but I and, think to the, to that point exactly. Oh, go ahead, Abram. That is where the moment I think had an opportunity to be subversive and kind of break away and be more poignant mm-hmm. and, and timeless in a way that maybe the gentleman's agreement was when we talked about it before. It returns that Martin Luther King quote of it's the good people's ambivalence. Mm-hmm. Because there's that really interesting scene before we go to the Martin Luther King dinner when Bully is explaining that, yeah, Bully is going to explain about. like, yeah, because of X and Y and Z, I'm going to look bad if I go, right? To me, that's the villainous core mm-hmm. of the film. But you gotta you gotta expose that core, and the film doesn't want to do that in any way other than a circumspect manner. Well, yeah. Well, I I, I, I just want to say, and and that yeah. only comes up like once. It's it's only it doesn't show up in the film very much. Like the film is because it's this interpersonal relationship that is that feels kind of the same the whole time. It's like this sort of playful antagonism that goes to friendship, I guess. 
but like it doesn't allow the racism and the negative ambivalence from the white characters to like affect that like we said in any regard and so when we do have these moments of i guess what the film is trying to be at social message wise it is it is just like it feels like it's like plopped in there here and there because the main story just is utterly lacking that even though the context is all there and that the characters are all there for it to be a part of the story it just isn't when it could be and so then when it is it's just it feels out of place even though it should be far more in place you know it feels a little strange to have have these little bits being included with martin luther king when the vast majority of film just wants to ignore that that is a thing that is happening in this time period, even though it's like kind of written itself into a uh, yeah, so it just avoids it, which is I don't I, think and again going to back to my previous statement, I'm not I'm not advocating that like oh this movie should have had a racist white guy be a be the villain of the movie or whatever, but uh, it's to Abrams' <laughs> point of like if you don't have that, you gotta fill in you gotta fill in the conflict in other ways. You gotta fill it in with you know the uh, really building up the the harmfulness of the ambivalence of these of our of our white characters and stuff like that, or you know the prejudices that uh that that miss daisy holds but um i think tucker said this is that this film isn't really interested in exploring any conflicts like that like it's an easy one an easy one would have been you know with with the police like they they call uh hoke the n-word or uh, once he drives away but they that that seems yeah, yeah. I, I don't know I I guess what I'm what I'm really saying here is just you know a doubling back on this theme of like um or th- this complaint of like it doesn't do anything with the conflicts that it even attempts to set up like yeah uh, yeah I mean it it's also just amplified tenfold by do the right thing coming up this year yep. yeah and not winning I mean ultimately that's what it comes down to frankly this film is interesting or well quote unquote should well should be interesting. And is well, what's worth discussing is it's thematic social material, and it's done ten times better in Do the Right Thing in a film that is not only stronger in its messaging, but also much more interesting narratively. I think the reason that we're hammering home this sort of discussion not only because I think that's the most germane part of the film to discuss, but also because what are we really going to say otherwise? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Sit here and say, "Oh, I felt the tension when we thought Hope stole the can of salmon." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what more does this film even offer on the a plot other other than just this feeling of like okay it's a little it's a little story between these two characters again well acted i think well shot i think sounds nice but this is quest for the bestest right they they should have been thinking about that they should have been considering our review and realizing I agree. the best yeah. best picture winners operate on multiple levels but it's like it's so easy to knock all these pegs out to where what are we what are we just circling the drain of this movie's fine for mm-hmm. the next 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here is one thing I want to throw in. I don't think I, there what? are people there. And <laughs> I know one of them. He was my dad who don't like sure. conflict in you know, movies and stuff and sure. want to watch it for the escapist like nicety value and that, that where it doesn't have these elements that are like, you know, you're, you're, you have to be like, oh, I don't, you know, the characters are going to die. And oh, my God, are they going to is, is Miss Davy going to kick out Hope from being her driver? Like this film doesn't because it doesn't present any of that. It has this like mm-hmm. largely conflict free narrative where wherein the conflicts are so small. And for some people, no. I don't think that's me and I don't think that's any of you guys. That is an appeal. This isn't the right narrative to have a no conflict so, storyline. Exactly. That, that's the <laughs> issue. 
Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm just I'm just yeah. pointing out that this is a thing that well, some people. Well, here's want the thing. You their, you say that, Abram, but I don't know if I I mean I agree with you personally, but just being devil devil's advocate here for Driving Miss Daisy, I do think it's it's fine that not not as a best picture winner, but fine as a film that this movie tackles very indirectly in the most circumspect way racism in this time period and interpersonal racism, but that instead focuses on the positive aspect of this relationship, because I do think that the bond between Hoke and Miss Daisy is reasonably compelling. I mean, it doesn't have a ton of depth, but I do think that when you're seeing Hoke uh, support her as they're both coming to the end of their lives, and Miss Daisy has this moment saying, Hoke, you're my only friend. Like, these are good moments between these characters, and I do think that they certainly would have hit stronger if they uh, if they had uh, had conflict and had to come together for a very specific reason other than, boy, they sure have spent a lot of time together. I mean, I think that's the moral of this story is if you spend 40 years with someone, they're going to maybe be your friend on the other side, uh, even if you're kind of a dick to them. But but I do feel like the value of this film of showing that these two characters from very different worlds, and each interesting in their own ways in terms of Hoke's uh, undying positivity and hope that he can get through to Miss Daisy and, and Miss Daisy's like over the top crabbiness and ambivalence to everyone, even her own son. Like these are interesting characters, and I I do like watching their bond. I'm always scraping for there to be more to that bond, to be a reason why I should be even more compelled by this bond. But I do think that as it stands, uh, showing that these two characters can come together from different worlds, from different social standings of different races, and be friends in the end, I think that's perfectly solid for for a film to be portrayed yeah um i I did have a note about the friendship and and the bond that is formed because like i said i think that tandy and freeman have have very good chemistry in this film they have very good comedic timing with one another so I, i i will i will i will applaud this film on that front but if we're talking about the the friendship itself, you know, for the building of friendship as a as a theme, as a crux of this movie, I have to take I, I take issue a little bit there too because I don't think this movie really depict depicts any uh, endearing connection throughout. I, I think there's a lot there's a lot of snarkiness, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness, there's a lot of misunderstanding that 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 results in some some wacky scenarios or 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 like you know a shallow conflict, I guess. Um, but all the but I think it does lack for a majority of its runtime depicting the good solid basis that this friendship is built on. What is the basis of the French? Where, where, where is the bedrock? That's what I'm looking for here. And it could have been in the it could have been in the racial turmoil of the time. It could have been anything else, really. They could have bonded over anything. And that, but I don't think they have any real true bonding moments at a given time. Like, I mean, you can draw like. When Jessica or when Daisy is um, afraid, when he when uh, Hoke goes to pee in the middle of the night or whatever, but like that is a moment of her showing weakness, and he comes back and he's like, "Are you okay?" And then the scene cuts. Like they don't have a conversation. There's no larger, you know, con- there's no larger um, character building outside of that. We're, we're on to a different scene, and that happens a couple other times, like with the synagogue or whatever. He's like. Hey, let me tell you about you know the, this experience that I had when I was younger. But again, and, and that's a solid scene. It would be a solid basis, but it comes so late in the game in the film. 
and then uh, uh, then this film tries to have its cake and eat it too where just minutes after pie. that Need to. have its pie thank you have its pie and eat it too where just you minutes know, after that in the, like the they're saying like daisy is saying like we're friends you're my friend hoke yada 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 and then it then it tries to have all this emotional payoff that it didn't earn with the scene where it's like the snowstorm in georgia when she's a really old lady and hoke brings her uh, he brings her something like supplies or whatever and, and it tries to have that emotional connection at the at the the climax of the film without laying the groundwork first yeah i think you know this film reminds me of thor love and thunder in one critical respect uh and and that's that i think they both should have cleared two hours because their relationships would have benefited a lot from more runtime i'm gonna stop making that comparison because it wasn't mm. as funny as i thought it was gonna be but but here's how i feel about the relationship because i think you're both right tucker i, I think there are really great moments sprinkled throughout here Tanner, I think the ones you mentioned are great. I also really like when they go to see Daisy at in the old folks' home, mm-hmm. and she, she's she's given bully shit, and she she wants to have that moment with Hoke. I I like that. I think that's all good. I think it hits like the highest level notes to allow us to intuit the way that the relationship develops. I think it is to those moments that you mentioned, Tanner. But I agree with you in the sense that it's not enough. And it makes me wonder why the film is so short. Because even if there was 10 more minutes of screen time divided across three scenes that showed them bonding, more so than giving Hope the grammar book and a little payoff for that or X or Y, letting us really see just two or three undistilled moments of them actually bonding or facing adversity together in a more direct way, opposed to them just happenstance being in in a similar circumstance spatially in the same bit of adversity like there would there would have been a stronger sense by the time the film closes that yeah they built a relationship but instead i'm looking at these like these little data points and trying to draw a line of best fit to show yeah there probably is a relationship here which is just not right yeah because it makes it weird that's 90 minutes you don't go visit someone at the end of their life and feed them pie in like a very close bond way unless you had a bond but we didn't really see that bond i think that's that's the intuit part, but no, I, I definitely agree that it is, it's missing those, those teeth for that. I think that those, those scenes that I'm mentioning are, are good in vacuums, but they do need something else. They need something to support these. And I, I also think that I would have wanted there to be, even on, even if, if it's just on a personal level, something to connect them a little bit stronger than just that he's her driver and that that's the scenarios that they're together with with each other in most sequences and probably most of their interactions across their life. Like I like the idea that Hope didn't know how to read and, and Daisy as, as an ex teacher at this point was very good at that and could have helped him along. But then where's the scene of him, of her teaching him how to write other than going, buh, 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 R, R, R. Like that's yeah, not like how condescendingly as well. Yeah. Like super it's condescendingly. kind of as it's like, teaching someone at this reading comprehension level, like that's how you would do it. And she is a teacher. She's also an old lady. She's kind of a dick. I, I, I understand yeah. that for that sequence, but I would have wanted that even, even if it's just that plot line and that plot line, not that deep, you know, it connects them on a different level to where we can see her watch a uh, Hoke grow. And, and maybe they have a little bit of a struggle over that, but that plot line obviously goes nowhere. And that's kind of similar to almost everything we've been mentioning here. Yeah. 
It's almost like the film lacks connective tissue. We've got all these little elements, all these vignettes and small scenes, but like they just don't, besides our characters being in all of them, they don't flow together a huge amount. And the, 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 even, I don't know, I'm just like, there isn't any, there's no, there's nothing that stretches the whole length of the film, really, that is like a thing that matters the whole time. And so that just, makes it a, a a difficult narrative to be really compelled about or to really provide me with much to think about even really i just am like i'm like yeah okay all these things happened and some of them had consequences yeah. but uh, i do have some oh i and like it, it relationships yeah. wise and i have some uh that. some jessica Sorry, candy trivia related to this film if you'd like to hear it um well i'll just roll right into this uh just, surprise surprise jessica tandy really old when she won this oscar she was 81 when she won best actress remains to be the oldest person the oldest actress to win the award uh she was the oldest ever to win an acting award until little christopher Plummer beat her out in 2012 at the age of 82 uh and uh and uh, he and you know Ooh. he was the oldest to win an oscar ever until the uh, original author of call me by your name one at the age of 89 so there's that um she also uh, jessica tandy also made a hundred dollar bet with her agent that she wouldn't win the oscar on oscar night uh she's she said that this was this was the uh the best bet that she had ever lost which is a fun little piece of trivia uh and if you can believe it (laughs) every every famous actress and their dog was uh was considered for the role of miss daisy at the time i just have a couple names here that were considered for the role uh, let me know. Let me know if the, any of these, you know, st- uh, any of these are standout people in Hollywood from the era. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, Lucille Ball, Lauren Bacall, Angela Lansbury. Uh, there was also uh, a a pair, a duo that they that they nearly went with of Bette Midler and Eddie Murphy. Hmm. Very different movie. Yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> hmm. Especially yeah. for the time. Yeah. <laughs> now I like. I like Morgan Freeman as Hoke. I think he is quite good um, in playing just he he's kind of bland, but he's overall he's a nice guy. He laughs at the moments that are awkward and makes everyone feel a little bit more comfortable in them. And he is a driver uh, and he likes to do his job and he is just he takes abuse of that. The verbal abuse he receives with a smile and a chuckle and as a character whatever but i think the acting that is that morgan freeman puts into hoke as a character is quite good and he's very believable and morgan freeman is a fairly recognizable face and a recognizable actor um but i, I get lost in his performance definitely i do re i know those kind of extra layers fade away and i i do feel like i am just looking at this man instead of oh it's morgan yeah, freeman yeah i think the acting really does a lot for this film it, it makes the this surface level scenes feel a bit more immersive just because I think both of our leads are very believable. Yes. They just give such heartfelt performances that it really does. It doesn't save the film for me by any stretch, but it makes it as good as good as it is. I think both their performances are quite good. I think that Hoke's performance or excuse me, Morgan Freeman's performance as Hoke in this film is is the thing that grounds me most because how, you're saying believable, and I think that him just being a very human guy, and not like, like the ways he responds to things and reacts to things in in any dialogue sequence that he's in, just don't they don't even feel like scripts. Like it feels like he's just like, oh hey, oh I've got the story to tell. Oh wait, what, why'd you say that? Hey, that's a little bit weird. He's he's using these turns of phrase that you don't usually hear from characters, and he, he's 
using words like yonder and stuff like that, mm-hmm. of course, you know, slang from the South in this time period, but it makes him feel very realized. Even if he doesn't, isn't a very complex character, I think you can, and this requires a little bit of reading into the dialogue and, and his, the, what we know of his history and stuff. I do think that Hoke as a person in this world is a very realized character. It's just hard to gather that from what we're given across the course of the film, because as we've said, he doesn't, he especially does not have a character arc. Of course, Miss Daisy learns to maybe not be a dick to the one person who shows her some care, um, but he doesn't, but he is, he's a lot more believable as a, as a human being than she is. Yeah, uh, I, I like Morgan Freeman as well. I think he's good in this. I, I, I would venture to say maybe better than Jessica Tandy, just because yeah. um, I think he, he, he feels more at home doing the doing the shtick. And it's easier for him. You know, Jessica Tandy is the comedic straight man of the of this dynamic. And he's being the he's being the old Holmesy Southern guy with, you know, he, he's got he's got these mannerisms and he's got these sayings and. He he's putting up this with this uh, curmudgeonly old woman and stuff like that who who is always looking for something to be wrong and who's always looking for a reason to hate him and stuff like that and uh, you know he he is the more relatable one in that sense he is the character for our, the audience to relate to being like yeah this old lady is crazy and mean uh, and he does a great job you know be, being that stand in be and by just being so lovable and affable as as the as Morgan Freeman but also embodying this character of Hoke who has you know dealt with this for. 50 plus years of his life he's grown up in the jim crow south and yeah. you know he's he's uh, grown accustomed to this very uh, hateful uh, world uh and he's you know, he's adapted to it by just being like a really nice and genuine guy who's always trying to endear himself to everyone that he meets and but he still he still knows how to know how to finagle his way pull the strings a little bit like when like in the scene with dan Aykroyd when he's negotiating his his salary or whatever and he essentially lies that he was going to be like job poached by this other person. And Dan Aykroyd recognizes that, but he's like, ah, he's a nice guy. I'll let him get away with it. Why not? Um, mm-hmm. And he pulls the same stuff with, uh, with, uh, with Daisy as well. You know, a little, little, little uh, bait and switch, a little uh, manipulation of social circumstances with his, you know, building up that foundation of him just being a nice and happy and genuine guy. I think Morgan Freeman is like one of the best, one of the best actors for that. Cause he is just one of these, one of these, like just, nice and quaint and happy guys you, you always get a good feeling when you're watching a morgan freeman movie of course except of course like seven and stuff like that <laughs> i'm always happy during that movie yeah yeah for sure um i do have uh some other uh, i i have some uh, some tertiary notes if we're winding down here um i don't think the lighting in this movie is very good um there's like a weird haze over everything which i assume is maybe i'm trying to do this like 1950s boy howdy it's sure hot here in the the heart of georgia look at this yellow haze over everything um but i think it's really bad during night scenes like i the lighting is quite bad there um so that's just a like a little nitpick that i had is like this movie doesn't really strike me as very visually good um but at the same time you know it's it's got that 80s it has that like 80s warm glow look to it which is like a specific, you know, visual style. Um, and we've moved away from that since since then. Um, I Yeah, I, to me, it's not like it's bad lighting. It's just like a choice to have it look like that. And like, I'm, hmm, I think, I mean, yeah, but the night times is a little, but like, yeah, 
most of it i'm okay with it i'm okay with the lighting it, it looks like that sure. and it's yeah. consistent like yeah. that it doesn't the, the lighting for me and sense. just the overall visual styling of this film i i actually think is good because i think it works very well for the tone that the film is going for it is very soft you mentioned that glow timo i think that's the word that that ultimately pervades all of the visual styling of this movie in terms of how soft like the filter is over the camera and how much how much bloom there is on absolutely everything every source of light and every uh, reflection of a source of light is just going into your eyes but i think that gives it like a a sparkly nostalgic feel that is obviously mm. what they're going for because they're just trying to make it be soft and consumable because that, that's the kind of drama this movie is going for um so i think it works very well and it, it just it's distinct like we we have seen a number of best pictures from this era and i think maybe something like uh like ordinary people or out of africa might also sort of adopt mm, the style yeah. in, in, a, in a lighter way but because they lean so heavily into it and that makes it so distinct i'm like yeah actually i i appreciate that it looks so different yeah fair um at the same time though i do like some some visual choices that the film makes like i think there's a there's a mirror shot towards the end of the film that is really cool with you know you f films usually do a mirror shot whether they they hold on it for a second and it's like aha you thought you were looking at the actual people but actually this was a mirror uh but this film does that but then it, it holds on it and you know morgan freeman is like pop it's like one of those like um ones that's in a desk that has like a mirror in front of you and then the two mirrors that are kind of like angled towards you so he's like in the big mirror on the front but then he'll like walk a little bit and he'll be reflected off of one angled one into the other one it's a really cool like way to set up that scene and the camera holds on it mm -hmm. and you know it's very well choreographed as well obviously so um what else do i have oh the theme i mean i someone mentioned that at the beginning but i think we can all agree that han zimmer put his whole zimusi into this one uh <laughs> it is a great score that we've got here for this film i uh, did the thoughts I already said that I love the score. I, I I agree though. I think I think if I had to describe sort of the aesthetic and the ambiance of this film, I'd just say it's pleasant. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't really think a whole hell of a lot about shot composition beyond that mirror shot. I don't think a whole hell of a lot about the lighting beyond its ability to let me see the foreground and the background in a deliberate manner. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't impress me, but it doesn't unimpress me. It, it's mm. it's fine. I think it's very much characteristic of my thoughts in the film as a whole but the score is great yes <laughs> score is a little Good. loud for my tastes it's it, yeah. it's a little like very present um in in the mix of the film we don't really get to hear a whole lot of other stuff i think that like sometimes you can just swamp a move you can swamp a film with sound with music um to make it easier to not mm. do as much work with the other sound design aspects um and perhaps that's what, what they were doing with this one it is a little older so stuff the like technology and style of how you do sound design has changed since then and so you know i mean i, I don't know the music is like damn i don't really like it that much well, i think it's a little heavy-handed just my, i had to double check this but looking part, back but... the academy didn't either this didn't even get nominated that's that's terrible. which is nuts Frankly, yeah which is which is insane traps uh, and just a quick note, quick quick bit of trivia on that score. Uh, Hans Zimmer's score was completely done with synthesizers, all of which he played. There was no orchestra. This score is 100% Hans Zimmer. Wow. One man band. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. And no nomination. Okay. What were you thinking, Academy, quite frankly? Yeah. 
Wow, come on. Um, what was going that's on? all the thoughts I have on uh, on uh, on driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, pretty much right, mine, mine too. Mine oh, I see. All right. Head of the game. <laughs> He's Abram is ahead oh, of us. Okay. What do I give this people, film? People, people. Uh, okay, I got mine. I just think it's worth reiterating once more all of the other films that came out this year. Just, just do a little exercise. Hmm. You do a little research. You know, if you, you made it to this video, you can make it to Google. Just type in 1989 films, and you'll be like, "What? Huh? <laughs> what? Yes." <laughs> This beat the Burbs and Jason Tatum. Okay, Manhattan. I got mine ready. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's find out where this goes on our list in three, two, one. Okay, there we go. We've got a score. It is a five point seven. So we've got a little bit of tie breaking to do. But before we do any of that. The point breakdown, starting at the top, Tucker gave it a 6.4, Tanner a 6.3, I gave it a 5.2, and Abram put in 4.8. So a little bit of a spread there. Not a full two points, but close. Okay, 5.7, we've got to decide between two films. This one, Driving Miss Daisy versus Out of Africa versus Patton. So well, Out of Africa is low. Yeah, that's lower. We start at the bottom normally. Um, I would put this above Out of Africa. I also would. Yeah, same here. Yes. True. Yeah, me too. It's not as boring. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. And it's shorter. It's shorter, too. Gets merits Patton. for that. Um, versus Patton. Uh, I, I think I feel like Patton frustrated me more because mm. it ha- I feel like it had more potential, but also it is a much more impressive film and one that makes yeah. a lot more sense to win Best Picture. So while I prefer... Driving Miss Daisy, maybe internally, uh, I can't in good conscience put this over Pat. Yeah, I yeah. Think the the character work is well still Patton. an issue in Patton. If you go back and watch our review, I think we I believe we noted on that. Uh, I think I, this thing is I think it's still stronger than Driving Miss Daisy, and like Tucker said, you know, a, a more impressive win, a more a more sensical win uh, than Driving Miss Daisy as well. Yeah. So I, I would also go under Patton, ten. and I agree. And like uh, I, Tanner, I think you're completely right. I think that they're both flawed in similar ways, yeah. frankly. But when you're making a big World War II movie, well, you just kind of get inherent points. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. We're comparing them yeah. on their merits. And it's, I, I really think that the film doesn't stack up. There's no, they missed it. Driving Miss Daisy has no calling card. Patton at least has its spectacle. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's kind of how I'm going to I love sure. Freeman and Tandy in this film, but I would take George C. Scott and Patton any day. Yeah. Okay. It yeah, seems we're the all the first time that's oh ever happened. We just we just breezed our way through that tiebreaking. We all just <laughs> were like, ah, oh, good points. Yes, I think we're all in agreement. So Patton is going to win out over Driving Miss Daisy, but that means that at number sixtieth, that's where we're putting Driving Miss Daisy above Out of Africa. So it's going to go fifty-nine Patton, sixty Driving Miss yep. Daisy, sixty-one Out of Africa. That's the way That's it true. all comes out. If, and if you think, yeah, here we go. Fell, if the audience thinks we're a, we're a bunch of doodle, doodles here for putting put, putting driving Miss Daisy that low, they can let us know in the comments, I suppose. Great reference. Thank you. That, that's the one. I, sometimes I write down lines that I really like in movies that I watch. That's the only one I wrote down was, "You're a doodle, Mama." <laughs> Good old boy, <laughs> boo, boy. <laughs> Boo. Uh, but I, I, well, the the last thing I would say is that. All right. Uh, well, did you guys know that? Uh, 
Dan Aykroyd was in this picture? I knew he was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I knew he was. <laughs> I read it out of the beginning. I didn't, just, I didn't get to say the me. joke then, but I, 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 had to, I had to squeeze it into this video somehow. All right. So. Should we yeah, spin that wheel? So. Should we spin I mean, it? What could I've got possibly it ready go right wrong? here. We, we, we've done it for gonna... 74 plus episodes now. I mean, it's, there's no way we're going to be interrupted in any way. So I'll, I'll just warm up my pipes here and uh, do a little sing a, ro- sing a song. So. Sing a song, Tanner. <clears throat> sing a And it would really just a... be a tragedy if we got interrupted, I would say. I'll, I'll just re- reiterate that one more time. But here we go. Okay. Wheel, wheel, oh God, what's so your horrible. deal? Give us a movie that All makes right, you okay, squeal. Hold, I can't, what, what, I can't keep it. I can't keep it in anymore. <laughs> hold on, everyone. All right, now here's the hey. thing. A while ago, a long time ago, we decided that we would be watching the longest and the shortest Best Picture winners back to back to even each other out. To give ourselves a little bit of reprieve from the longest and, and, and just to finally get the shortest out. So Gone with the Wind and Marty are paired together, and the four of us are going to be all in person over the course of the next week. So we might as well take advantage, say, screw you to the wheel, take, put the hands on our, the wheel of our own destiny and drive straight into Gone with the Wind and Marty, which we'll be reviewing together. Now, we haven't quite decided which one we're do- doing first, but one of those two will be the next episode. And then you will be able to know what comes right after that because we'll be reviewing those two. In wow. two separate episodes, though, to be clear. Yes, yes. This is one Marty <laughs> yeah. cross yeah. Gone with the wind extravaganza. Gone with the Marty or something like that. Yeah. Marty with the wind. <laughs> Marty with the wind. I like that one. Well, you can you can you can be sure that, that those are going to be fun episodes. We're all going to be hanging out, sitting together. Some in some situation, we don't even we haven't we haven't figured all that out. But you'll be in for a treat. I'm sure of it when you are watching us. You know when Tucker says something that I really lean don't like. Grab me, you can lean over me. and just tickle him. Give him a, give him a tickle. <laughs> yeah i just tickle him well that's gonna be fun thanks for talking about driving miss daisy you put some interesting thoughts into my head about the film um even though i did not come out of it with many um i've got more of them now so hey it was a it was a it was a positive experience in the end next week we're gonna be talking about either gone with the wind or marty and uh until then peace